Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Samba Cell Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. Right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. A lot to talk about today. Michael Keaton is potentially reprising his role as Batman. The Golden Globes have been postponed and a trailer into the documentary, into the making of Frozen 2 and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is some more unfortunate news that happened yesterday, and that is the passing of the great director, Joel Schumacher, and unfortunately, he passed away due to illness, and he was 80 years old when he passed away on Monday morning, and he is a well-acclaimed director who is known for some incredible films that were made in the 80s and the 90s, and some films that you would want to forget in his filmography, especially when you're remembering him. There are, especially one particular movie that he made that you don't ever want to really talk about for for his sake now and preserving the great legacy that he brought and and the legacy of the the character that he that he made. And I'm talking about Batman and Robin, but that's I don't want to talk about that film because he's made some other great films that supersede what he made with that movie. And he made Batman Forever, which is a fun comic book film. It's got bright colors and it kind of made whenever you hear people talk about a comic book movie being made to look like a comic book. That's exactly what he did with Batman Forever with Val Kilmer, Jim Carrey, Tommy Lee Jones. He made it kind of kooky and crazy and in that film it worked really well unfortunately it didn't work that way with batman batman and robin but even before batman forever he made films such as the lost boys from stephen king saint Elmo's fire was one of his very first well-known films he did flatliners with Kiefer sutherland he did the well-known booked adaptation films the client a time to kill which it, there's an article from matthew mcconaughey in which he talks about how the studio that made a time to kill wanted to cast a, a well-known star, and in the present, in today's day, we know Matthew McConaughey as, as a big star. He's an A-lister. We know him on the red carpets at, at events and in movies. When he's billed on a film like Nolan's Interstellar, we know who Matthew McConaughey is, but at that time period, when A Time to Kill is coming out, he was an unknown actor. Nobody was really fighting for him, and Matthew McConaughey says that when the, when the studio wanted an A-lister, Schumacher wanted Matthew McConaughey to play that, to play that lead role, and he says that even when he had doubts, Schumacher made sure to reassure him that he was the guy that he wanted. And you look at the career now, a big part of it was contributed to what Joel Schumacher helped him achieve with A Time to Kill. He also did 8mm with Nicolas Cage. He he is such a, a well-known director that was just so well-known for crafting such incredible character-nuanced films and the crazy kooky ones like Batman Forever. And so he, he just had a great dynamic and he he will forever be missed. And again, I think he should be well known for the great films that he did. And people will talk about Batman versus Robin. But when you remember Joel Schumacher, you can remember him for Batman Forever. But you can also remember him for the other great films that he did, like The Lost Boys, Flatliner, and all the other ones that I just listed. Instead of the one that really kind of maybe was a detriment to the franchise of Batman and to the career of Joel Schumacher, you remember him from all the great things that he did. What are your favorite Joel Schumacher films? I want to put out a Twitter poll about that. Or actually, no, let me know in the comment section about what you thought is your best Joel Schumacher film that you like. It can be nothing that I listed. It could be something else that I didn't talk about. It could be The Lost Boys, St. Elmo's Fire, Flatliners. It could be Batman and Robin if you want to make it out your favorite or Batman Forever. Let me know what you think down below in the comment section. Let me know what your favorite 
Joel Schumacher film is. And speaking of the Batman franchise, I want to transition over now to the big news that came out yesterday, and that is the the news that there are reported talks between DC Warner Brothers and Michael Keaton about him reprising his role as Batman for the film The Flash, which will still have Ezra Miller and his character adaptation for what he did in the 2017 film Justice League. And this is a report coming from the rap mainly and a, a few other additional details that come from the Hollywood Reporter but really the the main crux of the story of this story comes from the rap in which they were the first ones to report that right now Michael Keaton is in talks and it it has to be emphasized that he's not confirmed to be coming back to play Batman but right now he's in the early talks negotiations to reprise his role that was made famous from his time with Tim Burton in 1989's Batman and in 92's Batman Returns. And this is a little excerpt from the rap article, and this is what they talk about. That plot will introduce general audiences to the multiverse, in which the, the article now is talking about what the the film will encase. And for this is what it says. For the non-fanboy set, the multiverse refers to a shifting number of alternate universes that coexist within the larger reality depicted in DC Comics. Originally created to explain various contradictory changes the company's characters experienced over decades, it allows several different versions of the same characters to simultaneously exist and occasionally interact. Matt Reeves' upcoming The Batman will not be affected, and Rob Pattinson's Batman or Bruce Wayne is still viewed as the feature of the franchise. The article also goes on to say about the description of what the Flash film will entail. It says, but the Flash will disregard the latter two entries entirely and explore what Keaton's version of Batman has been up to since we last saw him. Loosely based on the 2011 DC Comics crossover event Flashpoint, previously announced as the film's title at Comic-Con 2017, the story sees Ezra Miller's Barry Allen travel back in time to prevent the death of his mother. The result? Allen inadvertently creates another universe protected by Michael Keaton's Batman, now 30 years older. And this is the the hopes of, I guess, what they want to accomplish if they are to get Michael Keaton onto the role. And the interesting about the Flashpoint comic and for those who don't know about the comic, there's an animated film as well about talks about Flashpoint, and the the thing about it is when Barry Allen does go back in time, he doesn't interact with the Bruce Wayne Batman. He interacts with a Batman that is inherited by Thomas Wayne, and it, all re, different realities are kind of crossed together and alternated in in a different kind of way. And the, the Flashpoint has been something that's been talked about for. This version, this movie version of The Flash, for a long, long time, I remember, like the article says, in 2017, even 2018, there was a main point it's talking about the Flashpoint being created right now, and there, there's two sides of the coin that I think can work about it, and the, the one side to me is interested in, because I think if you want to reboot the the franchise that this has always been talked about of a way of if they want to really kind of go back to being a connected universe and the way that everything has kind of been disjointed it's more about kind of the characters and the in the self-contained stories that each of these films take if you wanted to go back to doing something like the mcu the flashpoint can kind of be that restart push you can get rid of Ben Affleck's Batman and toss in maybe Rotten Pattinson's, or you could toss in another Batman for that universe. You can get maybe get rid of Henry Cavill's Superman if you wanted to. I don't want that to happen, but if they wanted to say we want to start fresh, 
they could clearly do that if they wanted to. So there's different escape points that they can utilize to say, okay, this is where we want to take this from now on. The the flip side to that on the negative side of the coin is that what I what again, not to really compare the MCU and the DCU together in, in terms of one successful one isn't because the DCU is, is doing something else entirely right now that is working for them and the MCU is doing something that is working for them. But in terms of maybe appealing to the audience that wants to see these things connected, the thing that I think makes great cinematic universe, universes built is the fact that you take your time developing the stories. I think one of the main reasons for why we see not just the DCEU, but other universes really fall flat on their face is they rush to things right away. With the DCEU, they really just went from a Superman solo movie right into establishing and building on the Justice League, going from one film to the next film right away with BVS and then the Justice League the following year. You need time to develop the characters, and you don't even necessarily have to follow the Marvel formula, but if you want to build something to a, a, a crescendo, you have to build towards it. If you if you look at an orchestra, they, they start slow, and they build, and they build, and they build to the crescendo of the piece that they're playing. You need something to, to build up to that climactic point that you want to get to, and I think the worry, worrisome thing about Flashpoint is because it's such a major event, that can alter different time and reality and involves the multiverse, you would maybe want to establish that in some kind of capacity before instead of just going right into it and trying to establish it in one big movie. And you still got to kind of evolve the Flash's character as well, I feel. I think people really did like what Ezra Miller brought, but it was just kind of a, a surface scratcher. You want to get more into his character. So instead of really just kind of focusing on this big event, maybe you want to develop these characters a little bit more before going into a big event like that. Like that, You do something like the Avengers, and if the Avengers work, you go into something like Captain America's Civil War after you've established these characters throughout a, a, a period of time. So I think you have to deal with that as well. And also, the, the fact that with the multiverse, I think you really you have to establish that in a better way because I, I watch a little bit of the, the Arrowverse that DC puts on the CW, and I really wasn't a big fan of the the crisis on infinite earth that came out i thought it was very kind of hodgepodge the the rules weren't set up that that well it was it was a little confusing and the, even the other crossover events that i've watched and, and, I, and i don't follow the 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 cw universe all that well it's called the arrowverse i don't follow it all that often i watch every single one of the shows but if i watch the the crossovers that happen i kind of get a sense of what's going on they're standalone enough you get all these people together. I know that they're from different universes and from different timelines, and you can get them all together. But the way that they did Crisis, I think, kind of it was just a hodgepodge. It was very confusing. So imagine doing something like that for the the cinematic universe, and it's everything's not established as much. And then going back to the flip side, maybe you decide to connect all these different universes together. Maybe they're able to get Walking Phoenix's Joker. That's from a different universe. Maybe they want to connect Robert Pattinson's Batman, which in the article it says that Robert Pattinson's Batman, even if they do get Keaton, because again, the talks are very early. They're still in the early stages of getting Keaton to come back. If Keaton does come back, let's say, they still see Robert Pattinson as the future as Batman in in the universe, whatever form that may be. So maybe that's another universe or another world that they set up 
And then you have these different universes that you can connect them with along with the Arrowverse as well. And everything's connected in some kind of way because even if with, with Crisis, even though if I didn't like it, it still had some highlights to it. And one of them was in the, I think it was the, the it was like the, the second to last episode of the of the crossover. And it was when Grant Gustin's Barry Allen meets up in, in some world with the Ezra Miller Barry Allen. So that kind of gives... It, it pays tribute to the fact that those two worlds are connected. They're in the same kind of canon in a way. So maybe that's what they do with the this with the Flash and create it in that kind of a way. But I, I just think that you, you need to build to it a little bit more. And it has its its pros and it has its cons. And that's with everything that, that comes into speculation. And when it comes to Michael Keaton, I would love to see Michael Keaton come back as a Batman and even if it's not even as Batman, but it says in the article too, it says coming back, coming back as Bruce Wayne, because I don't think Michael Keaton wants to train up and do all these action fight sequences. He might, but I don't think he wants to really kind of do what a lot of the the youngsters are doing right now and kind of doing all that crazy combat for, especially for a Batman, and especially probably what he had to do when he played it in in the late '80s and early '90s. So I I'm, I just wonder and think about what. It, it, what else can Michael Keaton bring? And according to Boris Kitt and to the, and to the Hollywood Reporter in their article, they say that if Keaton does sign on, he won't only just be in in this Flash movie, but he could act as a Nick Fury kind of overwatcher of the entire DCU. He could pop up, uh, pop up in films like Batgirl. Maybe he pops up in Justice League, another Justice League, or he pops up in Cyborg or Wonder Woman, Aquaman, any of those films that do come out. And so I think, especially given the fact that if Keaton does play Batman, I don't think he'll play necessarily Batman, but I think he'll play more of the Bruce Wayne type then and and be that overarcher that helps the team out. And I think that is what they need from, from from a Bruce Wayne and a Batman, especially not having a Ben Affleck anymore. And I think if they want to establish the the Batman-Flash relationship like they did in Justice League, which I would want to see more of, why not bring another Batman-Bruce Wayne back and just establish a different character from one of the universes to pair up with Barry Allen? So I think it's it's interesting. I, I, I wrote down on my notes if this Batman or Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne was going to be the new DCU version, but I don't think that's the case. I think if this Flashpoint does work, then I think Rob, they give an avenue for Robert Pattinson to come in and be a part of the Justice League. And again, it acts as a soft reboot to the universe so they can maybe connect things in different ways that they weren't able to do beforehand. So I, I can find that very interesting. And the the other thing that I that is kind of funny about talking about it today is the fact that it is the anniversary for when the 89 Tim Burton film came out with Keaton and with Jack Nicholson and the fact that Michael Key, nobody really thought that he could play the Batman, and a lot of people were, were worried about a Batman movie, especially in the fact that feature film-wise, nothing had ever come out before. The only thing that came close was a, not even, it wasn't a TV movie, but it was a movie with the TV characters and actors from the the 60s Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward. So the, 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 the stakes of the Batman were high, and they paid off in huge spades, and now everyone wants to see Michael Keaton come back and do what he does and, and and celebrate the work that he did with Batman. So if he does come back, I think I would be it would be very interesting. But also it comes to the point of I have to see to a believe, kinda like with Avatar in a little bit, that this film actually does happen because there's been rewrites happening. There have been multiple directors that have 
attached themselves to this movie and then left this movie. Then there were announcements that Andy Muschietti has come on to direct it, who directed the two It films over the last few years from the Steven Spielberg, or not Steven Spielberg, but Stephen King book that they adapted off of, and they became two hugely successful films that are some of the biggest horror films of all time in terms of the box office-wise of how much money it made. And then you have Ezra Miller coming in to write another edition of it or another version of the script. So there's just been so many rewrites, so many page one rewrites of this movie, so many director changes that you don't know if this is really going to happen or not. And it seems like they're still moving forward with Ezra Miller as the Flash, even though he's kind of gotten himself into some altercations during COVID-19 in other countries right now. So... We'll have to wait and see about that, but it seems like it's moving forward with him, with Andy Muschietti, and I wouldn't be surprised if they, if this does work out, if they're in talks with this, if this does get done, then maybe we hear something at this DC fandom that they're supposed to be coming out with, or fandom that they're coming out with on August 22nd. Maybe we'll get Keaton announced, we'll get more plot details, we'll get an official title, we'll get a, 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 a production start, because according to some of these reports as well, that apparently they want to start production on this film in the first quarter of 2021. So it could be from January to March or April that they're looking to start shooting this film to make their release date of right now June 3rd of 2022. And it's going to be written by Christina Hodson right now, who was the writer for this year's DC film, or the first film that came out in DC this year, and that was Birds of Prey. And the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. And even though I had some issues with how they wrote some of the different characters and and it was very more Harley Quinn-centric in the way that they kind of devised the plot a little bit, I still think this Christina Hodgson could do a good job. She knows the, the world of DC. She knows what Warner Brothers and the DC universe wants. And if she works well with Andy Muschietti, which I think he's a very good director, again, the way the what he did with the two it movies i think is spectacular and the way that he was able to kind of balance the horror with the drama and the comedy and he 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 made a, what had such great potential far exceed i think a lot of expectations for people especially with that first it film that came out in 2017 so i think there are a lot of question marks to this but i think there's potential for it if it actually does turn out to be true again i give all kudos to the rap again i always give props to trades that aren't the, the big ones such a deadline variety hollywood reporter to get a big scoop like this so if it is does turn out to be the case if nothing falls apart then i think this could have some great pros to it but at the same time some questions about the cons that can be attributed to this hiring and what they want to do with this film moving forward to hit its june 3rd 2022 release date what do you guys think about this news for michael keaton portraying the batman in this flash movie do you like it do you not like it i'm going to put out a twitter poll about it let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts moving on to some award season news that came out and it was announced from the hollywood foreign press association that runs the golden globes that this upcoming golden globe ceremony will be postponed to February 28th of 2021, and it is right on cue for following the announcement the Academy Awards made last week that they will be moving award season and the Academy Awards ceremony from February 28th, which is now the Golden Globes date, to April 25th. 
and that the deadline for Academy eligibility for a lot of the, the studios and the films that want to be looked at for award season is on February 28th, which is kind of falls in line for what happened during last year's award season and the fact that the Oscar eligibility, and not, not even Oscar eligibility, but the Oscar voting was about a, a week or so after the Golden Globe. So this kind of falls right in line with well, with I think what I was expecting, I think a lot of other pundits that follow award season were ex- expecting that now that the Academy has decided to make this change, a lot of the other branches, a lot of the other award bodies are going to be moving a lot of their dates as well. The BAFTAs moved two weeks before the Academy Awards on April 11th. The Golden Globes just moved. I would not be surprised if the Screen Actors moved, the, the Directors Guild, the Producers Guild, all the guilds, they'll be falling in line to make sure that they fit right alongside this year's award season and do the best that they possibly can. And again, this is something that could change and everyone has to adapt once again to that. But I think as of right now, and it sounds like there could be some positive ways making ahead that there could be some kind of cure or some kind of positive outlook of something happening in early set of 2021 that maybe we do get the Academy Awards on April 25th if everything looks like it's going to look at the end of the year right now and that we get award season. Maybe we get a full audience award size on April 25th. Again, I don't know about that. I think the Academy isn't even thinking about that right now. I think they're just trying to make the adjustments and the same thing goes for the Golden Globes. And I think it's interesting that to think if the Golden Globes will still be the kickoff for award season because the Golden Globes usually happen on either the second or third weekend of the new year, and they are the quote-unquote official kickoff to the award season slate for the next few months. Even though award season usually starts happening before then a little bit, that you have a lot of the, the, the critic circles, you have... The National Board of Review give their top films of the year. They select who they think the best acting was, the best screenplays, and they give you an idea. But the uh, the Golden Globes is the first telecast award show where the even though the awards are really kind of meaningless, they again I always say with the Golden Globes is that they paint the picture for what award season is going to look like for the next few months leading up to the Academy Awards. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Golden Globes do exactly just that and start February 28th, which which is kind of falls in line with the fact that award season next year was supposed to end on February 28th with the Oscars. It starts on February 28th, and it ends a few months later. I think it, it's kind of fitting in a way. So again, this could change in the next few months, or it could stay the same. And if we get more positive leeway on what we're hearing about COVID-19 and, and, and what the, the CDC and what Dr. Fauci and, and a lot of the doctors are looking to hopefully have something, some new developments happen by the end of the year, then maybe we'll get this to actually happen in the time frame that the Academy has set up and a lot of the awards bodies are looking to do it when it does happen next year. What do you guys think about this? Let me know what your thoughts are down below and leave me your thoughts about the Golden Globes being postponed. Now I want to move on to some news coming out of Tribeca, and not specifically the Tribeca Film Festival, but the annual Tribeca Summer Drive-In Series that happens every single summertime, and especially, it's pretty big this year because with the coronavirus and a lot of the major theaters having been shut down for the last few months, even though a lot of them are making leeway to reopen by the midpoint or end of July, 
a lot a lot of the, the the drive-in theaters have been doing really good business over the last few months because of the closure of a lot of the main theaters. You can sit in your cars. It's socially distant enough. You don't have to really interact with a lot of people except for the people that are in your car. So drive-ins have been getting a, a pretty big boost over the last few months, and it seems like the Tribeca Film Festival, not even the film festival, but the organization, is looking to capitalize on that a little bit more. And according to the article that the, the Tribeca Summer Drive-In Series is set to run from July 2nd, so next week, to the beginning of August, on August 2nd. And they're partnering with the NFL to expand to football stadiums that the, they own, specifically with the Dallas Cowboys and Miami. And it also includes venues such as the Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena, California. There's Nickerson Beach in Nassau County on Long Island. You also have the Orchard Orchard Beach on the Bronx. There's a bunch of beaches, football stadiums. that They're looking to really expand this to a whole lot of additional places, which I really kind of commend them on a lot. And this is an excerpt from the article from Deadline talking about the description of what what movies are going to be playing, which I think there are some great films. And I think what's really, really cool is the fact that they're doing some great kind of themes to go along with every single night if you have a double feature or not. So this is the little excerpt from Deadline that talks about what Tribeca is looking to do with this year's uh, driving series that they have. So this is from Deadline, and it says the lineup includes music-themed movies, Selma, The Bodyguard, Straight Outta Compton, Sports Sundays with Creed, Jerry Maguire, Space Jam, and Love and Basketball, time travel comedies with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Back to the Future, high school comedies with Mean Girls and Superbad, Ladies Night with Girls Trip and Bridesmaids, Hit the Road Picks, Talladega Nights, and The Fast and the Furious, a James Bond tribute with Goldfinger Casino Royale, and Kids Night with Inside Out, The Lego Movie, and Spy Kids. July 4th will feature Field the Dreams, The Wizard of Oz, and a special 25th anniversary screening of Apollo 13. Other highlights include the 2020 Sundance Film Festival breakout hit Palm Springs, excuse me, which will screen at the drive-in series prior to its July 10th release, a special 45th anniversary screening of Jaws, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, and Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, and Inside Man, audience favorites like Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, Crazy Rich Asians, Wonder Woman, The Goonies, and Black Panther, as well as Two Shorts, Gloves Off, and Tangled Roots from this year's Queen Collective, a program created by Procter Gamble, Tribeca Studios, and Queen Latifah, to drive equality and inclusion representation in front and behind the camera for multicultural, excuse me, directors. And hearing those those movies, I, it's it's perfect summer movies to go experience at, at a drive-in theater. You have, and the way that they do these music-themed uh, or these themed kind of nights out where if somebody wants to go out on a Sunday and, and, and they want to check out these the, the sports theme that they have going on with these incredible movies or they want to go watch James Bond and they find a James Bond tribute to go check out. And also I think that the, the, the causes that they're doing are great too in which the money will go to organizations for Black Lives Matter that they'll make sure that people that are frontline workers, hospital workers, doctors, nurses, that they make sure that they get front row experience, that they can go in for free and they can experience them for themselves and have a good night out after what they deal with on a daily basis. So I think the Tribeca, Tribeca is doing a really fine job with, I think, crafting some escapism for the summertime. And even if it's just for a month, usually the month of July is, is, prime, is the prime summer month where kids are out of school, people go on vacations, July 4th weekend, camps are in session. There's just a whole lot to do in the month of July. And the fact that you have all these great pictures to come out with, 
I think it is really nice, and, and I think it's for family members. It's for friends to go out with. If, if, if the, the wives and the ladies need a night out for, or for the guys, they can go to a sports Sunday. It's a great package that I think is, is undeniable. And again, for the fact that even though theaters will be up and running with new films by the middle half or end of July with Mulan and Tenet and AMC, Regal, they'll be back up and running again. Still, if, if you don't feel comfortable going out to those theaters and you find a place like Tribeca and you, and you want to go to a drive-in, Tribeca offers, I think, some great options to really go out and experience this with. So I highly recommend checking this out when you have a chance. I, I haven't experienced a drive-in theater myself. I If, there, if it, this is playing anywhere near me, I would definitely go check it out and experience it because these films, I think, are, are fun, engaging summer films to check out that you can enjoy and have fun with and not have to really worry. And if you know these films, I think that even makes it better because it's not like you're seeing a film, a new film for the first time, which I think is, is cool if you want to do it at a drive-in as well, but you can just have some fun. And I think that's exactly what Tribeca is looking to do with this. And I think that's what a lot of drive-ins are looking to do right now is just ex- give some escapism in some, some dark times right now. And I think that is what Tribeca offers with this drive-in series. What do you guys think about the lineup that is consistent with Tribeca for this summer drive-in series? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Moving on to a little bit more superhero news that I want to talk about. And it has to do with the the Marvel Cinematic Universe and specifically the universe of Spider-Man. Or it might expand a little bit past Spider-Man this time around. And that is something that J.K. Simmons was talking about as he was on Sirius XM Radio yesterday talking on the Jess Cagle show. And he was describing uh, his role within the MCU going forward as J. Jonah Jameson. And in Spider-Man Far From Home, he if you stayed towards the mid-credits sequence, you, you were surprised with a big drop bomb cameo of J. Jonah Jameson, uh, or J.K. Simmons rather, playing J. Jonah Jameson once again in a more modern setting than what we've seen him in from Sam Raimi's films to even in in the comic books. And this is what J.K. Simmons described in as kind of portraying J. Jonah Jameson again in that it wasn't just a, a cameo. It's going to be something more in the future. And he says this on Sirius XM. He says, well, yeah, I'll be back as Jameson. That's the short answer. This, there is a future for J. Jonah Jameson after a several-year hiatus. He showed up very briefly for those who were wise enough to stay through the credits for Far From Home. There is one more JJJ appearance in the can, and from what I'm hearing, there's a plan for yet another. So hopefully JJJ will continue now and forever. And I think, well, first of all, to have J.K. Simmons back, as I've said whenever I talk about him in that cameo appearance, there's really only one person that can play J. Jonah Jameson, and J.K. Simmons is that person. He falls in line with Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr. portraying Tony Stark or Chris Evans portraying Captain America or even I'm just thinking about Heath Ledger as as the Joker or there are certain characters that are made for comic books that just you drop them in and they are that character. John Berthold as the Punisher. There are just some some actors that fall right into line with these characters that you don't see anybody else. Hugh Jackman in the Wolverine, and to see J J K Simmons portray this character once again is very exciting. And the way that he does it, and the fact that he's kind of portraying it as an Alex Jones type of right wing media consultant, in which he's kind of just pointing out his views and that aren't really true, in which. 
we know who Spider-Man is and J. Jonah Jameson is, as he's always really done, and I think that's the interesting take is he's always done this, but seeing it nowadays with everything that's going on, it really kind of turns to that dailybugle.net, that it's on the web, and that people believe what he's saying. And I think what's interesting is the fact that he doesn't talk about just just Spider-Man. He says that there's another J. Jonah appearance in the can, and there might be another. And he doesn't specify that's in Spider-Man. So maybe we get something in, I don't know, maybe Black Widow. Maybe we get something in Eternals or Doctor Strange or maybe something in Shang-Chi. Maybe we get it somewhere else in the MCU, and this becomes something that is consistent through the Marvel Cinematic Universe and not just contained to the to the to the to the Spider-Man franchise. Or some people are saying that maybe it's not just the MCU that he's a part of. Maybe this could be the the joining the joinment of the Sony verse with the Spider-Man verse in the MCU, in which maybe J.K. Simmons has a cameo in either Venom 2 or he has something in the Morbius film. It could be either or of those. And I think it's all pure speculation at this point of what he could possibly be appearing in. So I think that makes it very interesting of seeing what films he's actually a part of. But I would give me seven films with J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah James, and I will take it all day because of just how incredible he is in this role. And again, he just he is J. Jonah Jameson, and there's no other way to put it except he just he is that character. You put on makeup no matter what, the way that he just enunciates himself and makes him stand out in a role, I think is incredible. And he, and he even talked about it in the interview saying that he doesn't want to outstay his welcome per se. He wants to he only wants to be in a few scenes to make sure that every time he's in a scene it's felt it's impacted by his presence and that people remember him and that they don't get tired of him. So I totally respect that and I hope we see a whole lot more than just a few more films with J. Jonah Jameson and J.K. Simmons portraying that character. Moving on now to a, a trailer that I want to talk about for one of the films, the feature films that will be making its debut in theaters on July 17th. And that is the first trailer for Broken Hearts Gallery. And it is a film directed by Natalie Krasinski. And it stars the actress who was in Blockers and who recently appeared and did an outstanding job against Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney in the HBO film Bad Education. And it also stars Darcy Montgomery, who was in Power Rangers and just recently well-known in the last two the last two seasons of Stranger Things in season two and season three. And this is a film that I, I watching it, I think it is going to be great counter-programming. It's about a woman who has been through a ton of heartbreak throughout her life. She gets dumped again and she doesn't know what to do. She's staying in bed all day. She's staying in her house. She isn't going out a lot until one day she runs into this guy who's transforming this hotel and she gets the idea to kind of put in a gallery in that hotel about memorabilia from people's breakups and putting in and kind of releasing that sensitive and vulnerable information through pieces of art that you know and that are recognized through that relationship. So I think seeing the trailer, I think the premise of it is smart and has the, the cheeky rom-com senses of, of the, the girl falls in love with the guy. And and I think this is, again, good counter-programming for the theater. And I think once we get more films into theaters, I think people might want to go out and check this film out. I think if if you want to go for a date night and you want to try to check out the theaters, this is the one to do it with. And I think... I think what's also going to be great about the theaters reopening back up, and not necessarily really the theaters, but for the films opening back up in theaters, is that you're going to have 
a multitude of films by the end of July that you can check out. You'll have maybe some classic films that AMC, Regal, Cinemark will be putting out there along with a mixture of new titles. And you'll have Unhinged, which is a a revenge thriller with Russell Crowe. You'll have Broken Hearts Gallery, which is the the rom-com that you can check out. You'll have the sci-fi epic in Tenet you can check out. You'll have the the kids film with, with Mulan that's coming out on July 24th. So there will be a mixture of things that you can check out and not one specific genre that is impacting the the theaters over the next few weeks in July. So I think Broken Hearts Gallery looks like a a nice, easygoing kind of rom-com that you can check out, especially during the summertime. And if you want to check it out in theaters, I definitely think it's it's one to maybe see if you enjoy it. And if you're a fan of the rom-coms, I think this is another one that can appease that appetite if you're looking for a a new rom-com to check out after probably watching... Of maybe a few new ones that have come out during quarantine, but wa- probably watching the same old ones over and over and over again to get something new. I think this one can definitely whet the appetite if you're looking for it in theaters. Again, it comes out on July 17th, a week after Unhinged comes out and a week before the first big blockbuster since the theater shut down due to COVID-19, and that would be Disney's Mulan. What did you guys think about the trailer for Broken Hearts Gallery? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Next thing I want to get into regards to movie news is that Colin Trevorrow will be directing a brand new film titled Atlantis, and it is based on a story that Colin Trevorrow and Mark, Matt Chairman wrote, uh, who he also wrote Bridge of Spies, and this is going to be a film that is set on a lost continent in the Indian Ocean between Africa, India, and Oceania. And apparently it's going to be a multicultural civilization civilization with its own advanced technology. So basically, it's going to be a, a Wakanda-like atmosphere from Black Panther. And for Colin Trevorrow, I'd be interested to see him make this movie. I think he's made some duds over the years, but I think if you set him up with the right team, with his own team, with a really cool idea, and I think Jurassic, like what he did with Jurassic World, he could set up something really, really cool and... From what we hear about his script for Star Wars with the Duel of Fates, even though we didn't get to see any kind of live-action form being told with this, we didn't get to see it from page to screen, I think he's got some really cool ideas that you can really kind of let him kind of transform with and to see what else he does with Jurassic World, with Dominion, after his success with the first Jurassic World in 2015. Then, then let's see what he does. So I say let's give Colin Trevorrow another chance of doing this. It sounds like an interesting dynamic, especially probably being a very diverse, multicultural film like Black Panther. I'd be very interested to see if it'll be more action-oriented or thriller or a mixture of drama and action and thriller. Be interested to see what it is, but it sounds interesting and definitely something that I would percolates on the radar a little bit after he's all done with everything he's doing right now. So I'm sure this isn't something that is going to be on the the docket for for a while, especially if you get Colin Trevorrow to direct the film. And he's working on a big blockbuster right now, which will probably take him a few years to do. It's set to come out next year. So once you get that done, then I'm sure we'll get this film maybe by 2023, 2024, the latest, once he's all done with everything. So Definitely an interesting concept, but still a ways away before we even get a semblance of what this film will truly be about. What do you guys think about Colin Trevorrow directing a film about Atlantis in a different type of way? Let me know in the comments section and leave your thoughts. Moving on to some news regarding the 
surprising and not surprising announcement that the brand new SpongeBob film, SpongeBob Sponge on the Run, will be delayed to video on demand and CBS All Access. It will premiere on those two streaming services at different time points in 2021. And originally, the film was set for a release this summer for May 22nd of this year and then moved to August 7th in time for the reopening of all the theaters to come out. And I think that's where I'm a little surprised at is the fact that I guess Paramount felt like they they just didn't want to put those films out in theaters. Maybe they thought that we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe only... Maybe not a lot of people will come out. Maybe they don't want to get eaten up by Tenet and Mulan, which are two really big films that people might flock to the theaters for and might not flock to SpongeBob for. So there was a lot of variables that could be in in play when it comes to this. But according to the CEO of Viacom, this is a little excerpt that that from an article that I found. It says, we are thrilled to have the SpongeBob movie Sponge on the Run, a premier first-run movie from one of the Viacom CBS biggest brands, join CBS All Access, expanding slate of franchise content from Viacom CBS. This launch will be perfectly timed with our continued expansion and planned rebranding of the service in early 2021 as we welcome SpongeBob and the gang from the bikini bottom to the service in the biggest way possible. And this will also be a way to apparently bring the other SpongeBob content from the the world of, of, of Bikini Bottom to CBS All Access because CBS and Viacom merged together and, Vi- and Nickelodeon is a part of Viacom. And so I think this is just another move, kind of like what has happened over the last few months with everything going on with the coronavirus where you're seeing Warner Media, Warner Brothers move Scoob to VOD, Artemis Fowl go to Disney+, Plus, Lovebirds go to Netflix. You're seeing My Spy move to... Amazon Prime, you're seeing the film Greyhound or Tom Hanks move to Apple TV+. Plus. All these films that were supposed to have theatrical releases are moving to streaming because maybe they don't have a place in the the back half of 2020 and that the studios just don't feel like they can make the money that they were going to make with the slots that they had originally. And I, I think, again, this is just to get, I think, some money off of VOD and then try to get people to come on to the CBS All Access page and and to try to get money that they maybe would have made on the film and make that and make that money up in the streaming service realm just like disney just did with armis fallon they're gonna do in, with this this hamilton musical re videotaping that they did of the play that's coming on the streaming service on july 3rd to get money from the theaters that they would have gotten to the streaming service and get eyeballs on there so it, it makes sense i think it's just a, again a little surprising that I guess I thought that they would have stuck with this film coming out on August 7th, but maybe they just didn't want to get eaten up by the other big films that are coming out beforehand. It'll be the second weekend of Tenet when this film comes out. So maybe they just felt like, let's just kind of save this off and see what we can do in the future. What do you guys think about SpongeBob on the run being moved to VOD? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts below. And the final three things that I want to talk about today on the Sam Vassell podcast is... Hugh Jackman is reportedly set to play the well-known character of Ferrari, the well-known creation of the Ferrari cars, and he will be set to star in a film from Michael Mann, who was set to direct this film, in which he was actually apparently supposed to direct the Ferrari movie with Christian Bale that became the 
phenomenal film last year, Ford versus Ferrari, that was actually directed by James Mangold, and it went on to win two Academy Awards and was actually nominated for Best Picture and and made some good money at the box office. But it seems like Michael Mann still wants to do a version of Ferrari, and he has Hugh Jackman coming on board. It's setting to aim filming principal photography in 2021, and it'll be based on the Brock Yates book Enzo Ferrari, The Man and the Machine, and it'll take place in the summer of 1957. At this period of time, Ferrari faces various struggles. The race car company he and his wife Laura built is going broke. The tempestuous marriage has already suffered the death of their son Dino and Ferrari's other son, 12-year-old Piero, the product of a wartime romance, now wants to know his place in the world. Enzo boldly rolls a dice for all their futures on one race, 1,000 miles across Italy, the brutal infamous 1957 Maya Miguela. During the dangerous race, Laura will discover long-kept secrets, opportunities will rise and fade, and drivers like Circuit Sons will push beyond the edge. So this sounds like it's more than just a biopic. It's kind of going to be based on like a singular race, a singular period of time within Enzo Ferrari, and kind of like with Ford versus Ferrari, that was kind of based off of one particular race, one particular time period, and not something that stretched throughout the the time periods. And I think what was interesting about Ford versus Ferrari were it, it wasn't really even about Ferrari in a way. Ferrari was, you could say, the antagonist of that story, the Ferrari company was, but it was more about the, the ideas of corporate versus mechanics really and, and small businesses and people working against one another and, and how experts within the field had a battle between corporate businesses and, and the 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 capture of glory in one aspect versus the, the greed of a corporation that looks for the business model of things. So it really wasn't it really wasn't about just a dynamic between the Ford company and the Ferrari company. This sounds like it's gonna be more focused on the actual person than it is going to be the actual races and when you get somebody like Hugh Jackman uh, you're not going to hear any arguments from me I think Hugh Jackman is a phenomenal actor that is well well due to get some more acting credibility like this in his filmography I felt like he he's just such a charming guy that even he can make a, a, an eh movie seem pretty good just like he did with The Greatest Showman he was phenomenal as his role in Wolverine he was fantastic in Les Mis I He's he's such an A-lister, but at the same time, he's very underrated in the films that he does. I feel like he doesn't get the credit that he does deserve, so maybe this can be something that he can very well shine in. Whatever he's in, he gets my undivided attention. He's fantastic in the film Bad Education on HBO Films. He was phenomenal in that. He's definitely probably going to get an Emmy nomination. I don't know about an Emmy win. It seems like there might be a few people in contention for that, but... He's just such a, a well, uh, such a great actor that if he takes on this role and he commits to it like he does with every role that he does, then I think this could be something that's very interesting and something that I think could be different and showcase a side of Ferrari that we didn't see in Ford versus Ferrari and showcase more of the company, more of the family, more of the person than just the kind of the 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 myth. I think we really got of more Ferrari than we did the actual kind of getting behind the scenes into that company it was more about the Ford company going up against Ferrari and the myth of that company so I think this film will strip down that myth and go more inside of the troublings of the Ferrari family that ensued what do you guys think about Hugh Jackman portraying this let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts and finally on this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast I want to talk about another trailer that I watched yesterday and it debuted 
but right after I finished up my podcast, and that was the trailer for Into the Unknown, the making of Frozen 2, and this is going to be a docuseries that I was explaining a little bit yesterday while talking about the, the Mandalorian docuseries that wrapped up on Friday about how this is the next thing that I was kind of interested in, and, and I was interested in seeing how they made these th- th- this movie, and I'm always interested in these docuseries about behind the scenes on big projects, especially Mandalorian and, and Frozen 2, and watching this trailer, I was thoroughly surprised by how emotional I got watching it. I mean, they have the Into the Unknown playing in the background. It gives you goosebumps whenever you listen to that song, but I think it's also the the emotion of and the passion that all these artists came together to create such a a monumental sequel to one of the biggest animated films of all time, both critically and commercially. And I, I think the thing that I really did enjoy about the Disney Gallery was that it gave different standalone episodes into the making of the of the Mandalorian. But I think the one thing that I'm worried about with the Mandalorian Disney Gallery that I think I'm going to find more enjoyment with Into the Unknown, the making of Frozen Two, is the fact that that this is going to be something from beginning to end. We see the the highs that all these artists and these cast members went through but also the lows the difficulties of making projects like these and that's the thing people might read and see that oh this stuff it's it looks so great like i wonder how they did it they make it look so easy but in reality it takes years and years especially for animation sometimes it takes decades to make a brand new film from going to the story to creating the animation to the voiceover to the songs and it seems like there were different versions of songs that came out and to see the struggles that everybody went through to create a film that is now you can fight it if you're a box box office prognosticator and you're somebody that that looks at the box office you some people consider this the highest grossing animated film of all time but some people consider it the second highest grossing animated film of all time because of the 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 remastered Lion King that came out in 2019 but the fact that this was such a huge film such a huge success and to see the the ups and the downs that went through it I'm really the, the trailer gave me more excitement to see this and and I think it'll be a prime example for how people should film these kinds of docu series and that you want to see everything you don't just want to see the good you want to see the bad that comes with it not just because you want to see people fail but you want to see how they fix these problems and if you're somebody that aspires to be in these kinds of fields you see a prestigious company like disney animation go through these different trials and and see you know what it wasn't as easy as to make a song and you have idina menzel and that's it you make the song no you go through different versions of writing the songs and different versions of the story and the animation you go back to the drawing board and to see all that kind of play out in different ways and see inspirations happen, it seems like we're connecting not just to the to the material, but we're connecting to the people that made these. And we're seeing the unsung heroes, the animators, the 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 musicianists, everybody that had a, a really big hand to play in making this this film. I'm really excited to see it more so than I was beforehand. So I'm, I'm really interested to see it all play out on Friday. All six episodes are coming out on June 26th. So I'm really excited, and I'll have a review for it on Monday talking about Into the Unknown, the making of Frozen 2. And, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. 
Also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also check out our brand new show that will be joining the ambiguous podcast, The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check them out on the website, ambiguousproduction.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at RealAmbiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also make sure to tune in and follow me on social media when you're all done following the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. You can find me on Twitter at Basel Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.